Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Byzantium. Episode 225, Belisarius in Metal. When I announced I would be taking a break back in the autumn, I received an email from listener Brian Sherry, offering to produce an episode of the show for me. He told me about the metal band Judicator, recording an entire album about Belisarius, and he very kindly offered to interview them on my behalf. As he pitched it to me, where else will you hear the phrase, Gelimer, your time is done, in modern music? I said yes, and Brian got lead singer and writer John Yelland on the phone, and they talked about turning the life story of Justinian's most trusted general into a full metal album. What you're about to hear is an edited version of that interview. I think you'll really enjoy it, particularly those of you who've ever pondered turning a piece of Byzantium into pop culture. They talk through the concept and the choice of moments in Belisarius's life to capture in song, and they play a few snippets of music to give you an idea of what the album sounds like. If you'd like more, then the full two-hour interview is available on Judicator's YouTube channel. And of course, if you'd like to buy the album, Let There Be Nothing, go to judicatormetal.bandcamp.com or check it out on Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. I am still working on the bonus content that I owe many of you, and I will be back at some point in the spring with the narrative. For now, though, enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Brian Sherry, and we are recording a special episode of the History of Byzantium podcast this evening regarding the exploits of the general Belisarius and a very fascinating musical album by the band Judicator uh, about Belisarius, his life and times. Um, I am just a fan of the podcast who also happens to be a fan of metal and um, actually like most classicists, I was originally a punk rocker. Um, but I'm joined tonight uh, by uh, John Yelland, who is the uh, lead singer and lyricist and historical researcher, uh, at least one of the historical researchers of the band Judicator. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, super stoked about this. Really happy. When I first picked up your album, uh, you had me right at the beginning with um, the discussion of Kalinicum and the names that started to come out in the song of Gelimer. And uh, I think I said that to Robin in the email where I asked him if we should do this interview. So I said, where are you going to find in modern music a reference to Gelimer, the <laughs> king, the usurper king of the Vandalic kingdom in North Africa? Where are you going to find that? Here in Judicator's album. That's where you'll find it. So tell us a little bit, though, about the Battle of Kalinicum, because even fans of Belisarius, <clears throat> even those knowledgeable scholars 
of the era of Belisarius would be more inclined, I think, to mention at first glance his great victory at Dara against the Persians. But instead, Judicator has brought us to Callinicum. Could you tell us about that? That was a difficulty with the writing process because there are so many things I would love to write about, but there's just not the time. There's just not the disc space. We have eight tracks. I would love to cover Dara. I would love to cover the Justinian Plague. I would love to cover the Nika Revolts. Um, I would love to cover Belisarius' last battle against, I think it was Huns, but I, I had to look for the best choices that would fit the narrative that I was that I was trying to tell. So Dara didn't really make for the best starting place. What I picked up, especially in uh, Ian Hughes' book, is a pattern with Belisarius. And I'm not a historian. I'm a fan of history, so I'm open to correction. But it seems like with the Battle of Callinicum, it's, oh, the men were antsy and they really just wanted to beat the Persians. And so they pressured me into fighting. Sorry, that's why we lost. The guys pressured me to fight. So it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give them a pass. But then the same thing happens at the Battle of Rome. Oh, the, the Roman citizens are getting uh, antsy and they want to get out there and pound the enemy. And that's why we lost. We're going to blame it on that. And so right. Ian Hughes talks about this, how if you make the people the scapegoat, there's no one person to really punish. And there's a lot less to lose blaming the people. Whereas if you blame Belisarius, who obviously was a great capable commander, I mean, just look at Dara, he can do it. But certainly looking at some of his other battles, you know, he, he was very aware of his weaknesses. And I think through Callinicum and the Battle of Rome, he learned to be much more careful and much more cautious with his lives. And through so much of his campaigning in Italy, that's the big thing. He, oh, I don't have the men. I need more reinforcements. Justinian, please send more men. So Belisarius struck me as somebody who's really trying to overcome some of these flaws that he has as a commander. And I thought Callinicum was interesting because in a story, you want to show somebody's growth their, their trajectory from A to Z. And so in order to avoid having sort of a Mary Sue situation, you want to point out your main protagonist's flaws. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think because it, it gives them room to grow. Yeah. It start and it starts the, it starts the narrative arc of the album at a low point, at least in his mind. Right. Because yeah. uh, the, 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 the song starts slowly and kind of contemplatively uh, kind of a, it's a lament in the beginning, in my view, of, of his, and then what we find out is that this is him ruminating on his defeat. And then he snaps back to focus on the fact that he's in a ship on his way to Northern Africa uh, to fight the Vandals, right? Yeah, so it starts him off at a place of, of humanity, not a, an invincible hero, uh, but a potentially a flawed person and, um, you know, he he says in the in the um, you have him say in the song that, you know, he's going to carry his cross of shame and march on through the mire, as I recall. Um, so he's we're we're then and what you've done in that first song, in my opinion, which is so great, is you've taken us out of the great man history books where, you know, then then Belisarius went to northern Africa and he fought this battle and he fought that battle. No, we're actually in his head and we're feeling his feelings. And here's the feelings of a man who's got enormous responsibilities, uh, enormous pressures, and has guilt of his past failures and wants to redeem himself. And so I thought that was a fascinating place to start with him uh, because he's so famous for Dara. And then, you know, like I think in, in a lot of the accounts or whatever you read, people are like, <laughs> and then there was clinical, you know. <laughs> but you didn't, you drew, you shed light on, you, you, you put a spotlight on clinicum right at the beginning. I thought that was really interesting. Speaking of light, I noticed from the title of the album uh, and throughout most of the songs, there's a lot of imagery regarding light and darkness and uh, especially the sun. The sun is mentioned quite a bit in these first couple of tracks. Did you want to tell us what you were getting at with that? That kind of touches on something that I've noticed having written lyrics for a number of albums already. Luckily with Judicator, the arrangement is such that I can write all of the lyrics for all of the album, which is not the way it's um, always done. 
So for me, I have anywhere from eight to 13 tracks with all of this poetry, with all of this, this writing. And when you're in the thick of it and you're writing, you don't always consciously pick up on the imagery that you're using or the the ways that you're describing things. And so uh, kind of a joy for me that I've noticed is once the album is done and I've taken a step back, it's really interesting because it sort of acts like a snapshot into my psyche at the time that I was writing. Mm -hmm. And so I can't tell you, uh, unfortunately, I'm not, (laughs) I, I can't tell you that I intentionally did everything, you know? So like case in point, like this sun and light imagery uh, you point that out and I absolutely recognize it, but I can't remember ever thinking like, oh man, I want this to be a common theme throughout yeah. the albums, uh, kind of a, a light motif that comes through. Um, yeah. Well, in my several hundred listenings uh, of the album <laughs> between August and now, which is December, uh, it really came through to me. Uh, I felt that you were um, conveying, or I interpreted anyway, your lyrics to convey this idea of the sun as the, the kind of the light of civilization uh, being brought back to rise again over former Roman Africa. And that's tomorrow's sun, which is so this is the, the coming restoration, right? That's how I kind of heard it. Yeah, I think that it works on that level for sure. Uh, later in the album, too, as we get more into the soul of Belisarius and we get more into the morality play of uh, the story, I think that you can definitely asso- associate light with holiness, with, uh, with enlightenment, with, with God, and with darkness, it's like turning away from God. And right. so like with uh, The Way of a Pilgrim, you have that imagery of uh, step by step, I descend from the heights that once upheld me, living life so virtuous. Step by step, she backs away from me. This is the last time you will so betray me. Right. Um, you know, descending from the heights and the heights are where the sun is. The height is where you're above the clouds, where there's the vantage point looking down. It's, it's holy. It's, it's the position of God, so to speak. You're on top of Olympus. Right. And when you are in the pits, it's something that you revel in, even though you know it's bad. And so when Belisarius is punishing Antonina and putting her in the dark in the prison, That's one fascinating thing I found or realized in writing this is when you're, when you're sinning or doing something bad, there's that goblin in the back of your head that says, Oh, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's do all the, let's do it, man. And I don't know. It's like, there's a, there's a goblin inside all of us. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you gave us, you give us some insight into the, what's inside Belisarius. And that, and that's one of the fascinating questions about him is, and one one of the reasons I really enjoy your album is the question that we have are confronted with by the historical record is what is he thinking? Because, mm. um, you know, overall, and we can get to this, you know, we get the impression from the historical sources that he wasn't well treated by Justinian who seemed jealous of him. Um, but nonetheless, he maintained his loyalty, uh, throughout in, in circumstances, which, and Procopius goes so far as even to throw him under the bus and basically call him a wuss. Um, for basically, you know, he could have at many, uh, on many occasions, decided to take the empire for or contest it for himself, and uh, you know wouldn't have had the worst claim ever <laughs> to be the emperor uh, based on his accomplishments. So that's it's a fascinating question as to what he was thinking and what were the what were the demons that haunted his soul that you know seemed so virtuous. Um, yeah, and so, I think. I, I think with Belisarius, one of the big things, because like I said earlier, I was really fascinated with Justinian and I still am, but the tipping point between like, who am I going to write about? Like Justinian, I wanted to write the album about Justinian originally, but as I, you, you can't read about Justinian without reading about Belisarius. And so I just found that Belisarius was so much more relatable and it's like, I've written about Napoleon and it's not very easy to relate with someone like Napoleon, the last emperor, the album on the first crusade. There's a lot there, but it's a, it's a dicey kind of situation in its own right. But with Belisarius, I I feel like there's a good person there, right? Not a perfect person, but somebody who is doing his best. So I 
find Let There Be Nothing to be a really special album because it is, I think, our most relatable album historically, which is ironic considering it's the most uh, esoteric or, you know, less known about topic we've covered in history. Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, maybe one of the reasons he's not so famous is because he is actually a bit more like a normal person. He, he wins battles, but he loses battles. Yeah. Um, he comes close to the ultimate power in the land uh, of his, of his people, the Byzantines, but he never seizes it for himself. Right. Um, and he actually dies quietly in old age, which is not very common either. Yeah. And not the most, uh, I don't know, uh, poetic or lyrical way to go um, that as famous people, you know, often do. So he is his uh, relatability in a way may, may speak to why he's actually less well known. Um, I was going to move on to the second track and we're moving really from let there be light where we hear from Belisarius of his thoughts of his defeats and then what he plans to do or hopes to achieve in Northern Africa against the Vandals into tomorrow's sun where I think uh, we meet them in battle. So let's listen to tomorrow's sun a little bit. Outside comments, my good friend John. Okay, and so tomorrow's sun is really interesting because now the sun is arriving in northern Africa. The Roman sun has come again, and they are fighting uh, against the Vandals. And as I um, listened to this uh, track, something that struck me as interesting, and uh, Graves has some commentary on this in his book as well, was um, the time you spent on Gelimer the name that I just never get tired of saying, yeah. uh, the king of the Vandals, the usurper <clears throat> king of the Vandals, um, and what happens to him. And so I was wondering, maybe you could tell us a little bit about you know, your thoughts on him and um, what, you, what you were you know, looking to achieve in the way that you in- included him in the, in the song. My memory is only so good here, but what I can absolutely remember is he overthrew the previous Vandal king, I think it was because the previous king was being too sympathetic to the Orthodox and there was this worry that um, he was going to essentially act as, you know, like a puppet to Justinian or maybe even just give the kingdom back. I don't know, but yeah, that's about right. And that, uh, you know, as a cynical modern person, I suspect maybe he also just wanted to be the king and be rich and get all the money. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Also there was that conflict regarding Orthodoxy and I guess the Vandals were Aryan Aryans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so not exactly, you know, barbaric pagans per se, but yeah. heretical, heretical at least. Heretical for sure, but I I think it's interesting <laughs> if I remember right in the uh when you when you see early Christians who were uh, a part of the Council of Nicaea, when they write about the Arians, they still refer to them as our brothers in Christ. Ah, interesting. So, yeah. But anyways, regarding Gelimer, so maybe he's a douchebag for overthrowing <laughs> the king. But despite all the bad things that somebody may do, I just was really struck by the report of Gelimer being uh, so emotional at the sight of his brother being dead at the Battle of Ad Decimum, I think it was. Yeah, and by the way, I was so excited. My nerd points, like my nerd nerdometer went off the chart when you guys sang, you know, here at Ad Decimum. I was like, yeah. oh, wow, they mentioned <laughs> the Battle of Ad Decimum. This is the best album ever. Um, so... You're right. Um, as I recall, um, Belisarius's good friend, John, who um, if we from our other readings, we would know that John, um, I believe, was a friend of Belisarius's from his youth uh, that yeah. they grew up together. And so he's been Belisarius's lifelong companion to this point. John has uh, ranged ahead with the Byzantine cavalry and savaged the Goths uh, with this extremely well-trained and heavily armed Byzantine cavalry elite. And he has killed the brother of the Gelimer, um, who apparently was trying to launch a uh, Hannibal-like maneuver of very high complexity to get three armies to converge on the on the Romans at one time, and it didn't work oh, yeah. at all. So they were defeated in detail uh, or piecemeal by uh, the Romans. But that very first clash um, 
what is his name? Amadas, I believe, is def- is killed by John. And then Gelimer comes across his destroyed forces and finds his brother's body. So broken, torn, and glassy-eyed. I, I just think it was interesting because, you know, it's said that the best villains are are dangerous and seductive because you can see things from their perspective. And I don't know. I think a good villain is somebody who's human. And I'm not saying necessarily that uh, Gelimer was... A villain, I think there it may be more complicated than what my pea brain can grasp. Well, it's interesting because I think it taps into a deep, um, a deep and ancestral storytelling technique, which goes going back to the Iliad. We have, um, as my freshman high school teacher would be thrilled to know that I remember, pathos uh, being yeah. so important to that tale where we have we have the sympathy for the uh, Trojans. And their humanity, all the while the protagonists of the story really being the Achaeans. And so when we see the humanity of the supposed foe, uh, that reminds us really of all our humanity. And, and it's an interesting point. I'm, I'm really thrilled that you spent time on that, um, the, on Gelimer and his, his grief for his brother and humanizing them. And by the way, um, in Graves' book, there's a great line where the scribe, contrasts this with the Byzantine experience where he's, and it's interesting because I guess Procopius comments on this in a way that calls it out as unusual um, that a manly king of warriors would stop and grieve over his brother's body like this and literally stop his army in the middle of maneuvers uh, in a war zone to bury his brother and grieve for him. Uh, Graves's character comments that uh, in Byzantine society, uh, one can't afford to have that kind of emotion and compassion for one's siblings who are probably going to try to, you know, t- you know, kill you and take your place at any given moment. So <laughs> this was like Byzantine a, politics. For yeah. A so this is like a real curiosity. And this is like a, to me, reminds me of that Homeric approach where, you know, these barbarians evidence more humanity uh, maybe than the Byzantines are used to seeing. So I thought yeah. that was really interesting. I think that's great. But also um, one thing that I I was trying to work in with this album is just, again, that idea that there is a goblin in the back of everybody's head. You know, there's, there's that line. I think it's a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn that the line between good and evil is drawn down every human heart. Just that idea that every day for you, is a battle between good and evil and whatever circumstances come up, you could go one way or the other. Yeah. And, and you know what, uh, thinking about this track and that theme a little more, um, you have Belisarius in the previous track talking about our mission, you know, is holy. The, the Vandals are engaged in piracy and pers- persecuting the Orthodox. Right. But then uh, the refrain or one of the refrains in uh, tomorrow's sun is, kill maim burn <laughs> and it's the the romans whose mission is ostensibly holy killing maiming and burning right uh in that instance if not you know as we know belisarius took pains to be um kind and gentle with the prior roman citizens you know the orthodox population of of the north africa but you know they were there to to kill an enemy army so they were experiencing some of the darkness of humanity at that time too so moving on um the next track is strange to the world uh and this is a very complex song uh we'll spend a little time on uh but let's take a little listen to a passage from strange to the world
So in Strange to the World, a lot happens. Um, and the first thing that we hear is that Bel- Belisarius has suffered a great loss. Maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah. Again, I think it was an Ian Hughes book, but reading about John the Arminian chasing down the uh, some of the remaining uh, vandals, among whom I think was Gelimer. I could be wrong on that, but just the report that John the Armenian was killed by friendly fire, a stray arrow killed him and brought him down. And they brought him back to uh, Belisarius and said, yo, your boy, John the Armenian got hit by a stray arrow. And uh, he said in his last words, he said, don't punish those who killed me by mistake. And that makes me question if that was them covering their butts or if he really did say those as his last words. But uh, it's my job as the person forming the story to kind of determine what's true and what's not. <laughs> yeah. So I, I went with it with uh, it's gospel that that's true because I just found it so interesting. This report that uh, Belisarius was so deeply grieved by his friend, John the Arminian uh, dying in such a strange and senseless way. I mean, too, you're talking about the Odyssey and the Iliad and such it's like dying by friendly fire is not the most glorious or big way to go out. And so tragic and ignominious, right? Yeah. It's not that it's shameful, but ignominious. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to go on a limb and say, I believe it. I believe it. I I was a soldier myself at one time and a lot of stupid accidents happen. uh, Most of them not fatal, thankfully. Um, But in combat, Uh, friendly fire incidents do happen. And as I recall, I think this may have even been some kind of hunting accident and uh, an arrow, some guy loosed an arrow in a a reckless or careless way and ended up killing uh, John the Armenian. And uh, yeah, so I I think it's certainly plausible. And and then, but I think what's really interesting again is that you have transported us into the mind of Belisarius and he's not just a general. He's not just a commander and a conqueror. He is a man who has close friends and deep affections and he's lost someone and he's choking on his tears. And um, I believe you mentioned that he, you know, commits to raise a shrine to John. Yeah. I found that so interesting, just so beautiful. I mean, that act spoke to me. It, It resonated with me and showed me like, the real humanity of this person. And for the record, I, I too believe, um, you know, I called it into question more as a joke, but I actually do believe that it was a legit accident that killed John the Arminian and everything that I've read. I haven't seen any academic or scholastic sources uh, yeah. call it into question. Right. And well, and when it comes to any of this, we have one person, right. To trust Procopius. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and as you pointed out with Kalinicum, right, there's, there are, there are, things we can question you know the, yes. the the staging of of how belisarius was supposedly you know forced into attacking at Kalinicum is is highly questionable i think given that it was it was supposed to be easter and his men had been fasting the prior day mm-hmm. and like really um you know um i don't recall in christianity where it's important to go kill a lot of people on easter um and if i was starving i'm not sure that i would be inclined to go to my commanding general and demand that we be allowed to attack people maybe i'd wait a few days till i had a full belly and i was well clear of a high holiday um so yeah so anyway that's just to say that procopius might not always be 100% accurate but this seems to ring true and i think more importantly gives us the feeling of belisarius's humanity and caring so much for this you know the tragic loss of his dear friend And I think, you know, Procopius' job, like we covered his role, was basically to document and kind of cover Belisarius' butt. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, he gets his revenge later in the secret histories, but in the history of the wars, yeah, he seems to be on Belisarius' side. So Strange to the World, though, that takes us to uh, (laughs) – and you you really set up to punish the listener, I believe. As he copes with John's death, he says – You know, I can only turn, I'm going to paraphrase this one, but I can only turn to my wife, you know, my dear Antonina, please comfort me. (laughs) I feel so bad for Belisarius. Yeah, because in the very next um, verse, in the next verse in the song, you tell us about a little wrinkle in that relationship. I I don't know the the chronology. No, Um, this is interesting, though, because she travels with him. 
yeah to these um to these theaters of war which i think is fairly unusual yeah but, i, but I recall that it him. was something to do with uh her keeping tabs for theodora that's um, one theory yeah because it would be unusual um for uh the wife of uh, a high-ranking you know woman uh, the wife of a high-ranking general i think to follow um there were certainly many women involved in these kind of armies or camp followers or sometimes the wives of common soldiers but um you know he's a very high-ranking individual she could stay and live in a you know a palace in perfect safety in byzantium but she's not she's with him with their daughter who was just yeah hanging out their daughter (laughs) is left back in byzantium um and i guess was adopted by theodora actually Oh, I, I didn't recall that. Yeah, That's well, not adopted. I'm sorry. Like unofficially, she she basically oh, okay. was her ward and looked out for her. Well, I'm sure she had a very comfortable life then. She, I'm sure she did, and a very good moral upbringing. So yes. Um, but moving on from that, yeah, the the betrayal of Belisarius, I think you refer to, is um, with Theodosius. To again, to me, one of the most mysterious relationships in the whole thing is that. There's this young man who's apparently quite good looking. So we can kind of see where this might be going from about 10 miles away, who gets adopted into the family as their godson. And he also is going with them on these campaigns and not Mm. in any military capacity that I am aware of. And I'm not sure of the chronology of the events that happen. Um, So it required a little bit of, uh, you know, editorializing or whatever. But so I, I just crafted the situation to be such that he finds out John the Arminian died. He goes to his wife because who else would you go to if your best friend since childhood died? You go to your wife and she probably does her best. I don't know. But then some disgruntled slave brings chambermaids to uh, kneel before Belisarius and tell him that they saw Antonina doing the dirty deed with Theodosius. Theodosius. And so... The rest of the song sort of focuses on Belisarius grappling with that. And the interesting thing that I found is, based on everything I read, taking Antonina's relationship with Theodora out of the equation, because that's its own thing, but nobody would have batted an eye if Belisarius killed Antonina or Theodosius or imprisoned them or did some heinous things to them everybody would have supported yeah. that and i found or maybe it just divorced her you know that yeah yeah <laughs> something slightly less heinous but totally understandable true my mind yeah. went to the worst immediately okay. yeah. but uh, i'm not i'm not an expert on on the uh the church's view of divorce at that point in time but yeah. i do think adultery um could be cause i don't know oh maybe, that would be a big no-no yeah maybe a greek theologian can can chime in and let us know but maybe his only option was to kill but yes he he was confronted with a choice of how to deal with their alleged indiscretion and everybody seemed to deride him and talk smack on him for not being more uh, aggressive with antonina and to be fair if i recall right he was going to kill theodosius but antonina talked him out of it or convinced him that right. none of it was true but again for the sake of the narrative, I tweaked it to have it be that he just did not take action against them. He forgave them. There were some parallels that I wanted to draw with uh, Christ forgiving the woman caught in adultery and such. Yes. I think am it, I, I am think, I not just, I have yeah. the right to kill her, but am I, am I like Christ who so forgave the adulteress from stoning? If I recall correctly. Sing hallelujah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's really I, there's so I love the song John and because there's it's packed full of I think very powerful lyrics and um at one point Belisarius says you know okay he's trying to sympathize with her like she's lonely we're mm. apart often although they're both in Africa and then he says yet I somehow have remained loyal to her um and then he he says you know that Rumors begin to gather traction that I'm a pawn of my wife. It's not surprising. Virtue seems strange to the world. Yes. And I actually get, I I literally have goosebumps now from you reading that. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Yeah. And I, it's so strange because the more things change, the more they stay the same. And I think in a lot of ways, we're in the same place now. Yeah. He's, I I think that's the way it always has been. He's being, he has been a loyal husband. And 
he loves her. And and by the way, I think with the, I don't think we told the audience, but you you established early on in the first song his deep feelings for Antonina. And this is something that everybody remarks on with him. He was obsessed with her. In in Graves's book, he meets her as a youth. And um, and this may be a stretch because I don't know that it comes from any historical documentation, but he basically saves himself for her. And eventually Theodora sends her to him uh, so that they can marry. But um, her whole life, as he said, she came from the streets and worked as an actress, which, you know, nowadays we're like, yeah, it's a great job, a lot of money. But Jennifer what, Aniston. <laughs> but what he meant to say was she had been a professional prostitute. So maybe, you know, you, it's hard to, you know, you can take the girl out of Byzantium, but you can't take the Byzantium out of the girl. I can baby understand her. But what about Theodosius? How could he do this to me? I gave him his whole life. He was nothing before we adopted mm-hmm. him. Um, but. What's strange about, I love that phrase, John, it's not surprising that virtue seems strange to the world. So he's surrounded by, right, We and we use the word in the English language, Byzantine, the politics and ethics and morals, uh, literally and figuratively. And he is staying essentially as straight as an arrow, and that makes him a square, right? Yeah. That makes him weird. Um, and, and that, and I love that virtue seems strange to the world. He's, he's being pilloried for being a faithful husband who has at least allegedly an unfaithful wife. Cause I think at this time they convince him it's not true actually, or at least he chooses yeah. to, he chooses to believe it or act as if he believes it. And rather than punish her, or cast her out, he forgives her, which I think it's been a while since my days at St. Mary elementary, um, I think that's a Christian virtue, forgiveness. Certainly. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, so I love that. Virtue seems strange to the world. Um, I felt that way when I was in the army. I was the only guy who didn't drink. And um, <laughs> It's funny that not, you bring that up because they really, as, they really thought I was weird. Let me just throw that out. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up because that is the exact example that I was thinking of when we're talking about this. As somebody who's moving from his 20s into his 30s, who went from single to married. Um, I look back now on the party days that I had. And whenever you were at a party and there was that one or two people who, oh, no, thanks. I don't drink. Just a Coke for me. That's fine. Right. Everybody always like kind of turned slow and was like, dude, seriously, why don't you just leave? And I'm yeah. like, what is that reaction? Right. It's, it's this reaction that's like, if you're not doing what we're doing, then just get out. And yeah. it's like, are, are you projecting something? Um, do you feel like you're being judged? And so I, I think there's something yeah. in that yeah. that manifests on a greater level with something like what we're talking about with Belisarius. I think, and that's interesting for him too. He's not just some nerd at a party like I was, right? He's yeah. the, he's the general of this army. Um who, you know, if we, we let's ignore Kalinicum, is a great victor of many of the big victories. And I think, you know, the, the soldiers come to see him as their own, right? He represents them. He's like their, almost like their totem, right? Their good luck charm. Um, and his slights to his honor, they take personally. And his failure to redress that slight in the way that, you know, manly men would do was probably seen as disappointing as in, in more so than just some average dude, but because their, their own pride and egos were tied up in his prestige. That's just a thought. I think that's uh, probably very close to the mark there. And I, I think it's interesting too, with the track Amber Dusk, I cover this, but you notice after the battle of Rome, to my recollection, it seems like he really, changes the way that he conducts warfare it seems he's really much more concerned about keeping his men safe and conducting warfare in a way that's much more cautious um and you see that as he's trying to drive out kusro yes he returns to syria he bluffs his way to victory in in, in, love that yeah repeatedly um Mm -hmm. very very smart yeah and i think you know we could go to the Sun Tzu, I'll paraphrase because that's pretty far afield from Byzantine history. But I think Sun Tzu says like the victory, uh, a victory without a casualty, right, is is the ultimate mastery. That's yeah. an extreme paraphrasing. Someone will kill me for that one, but it's close. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, the one other thing, and there's another phrase in there that I really like, he, he sings this or says this to himself. And I'd like you to tell us what you were thinking about putting, by putting these words into his mouth. Our fleeting lives are meaningful. Uh, nothing you do doesn't matter. Yeah, I go back to that quote where the gist is that the line between good and evil is drawn down the heart of every person. And I do think that every day you're making choices that draw you closer to heaven or to hell. And I think you have sort of the micro uh, level, which is the day by day, and the macro level, which is your entire life. And so I, I think if we keep that in mind, it's easy to be disheartened when we fall. And boy, today was a really bad day. I did these bad things. I know myself, but if you take a look at the grander scale, you can see the progress in your life. And the interesting thing, and this might be a little Carl Jungian, but if you take a look sort of even at the level of a nation, I think you can see similar movements. Um, I'm very fascinated with the German people's response to, to the atrocities committed by the Nazis. And I think you see a sort of similar, I think you see like the grieving process play out over the generations that follow World War II and the German people. And it's very interesting to see that. That's kind of far afield, but as it pertains to the lyrics, it's interesting because I just think that somebody like Belisarius is somebody that we're going to remember for generations or centuries to come. And I'm going to be forgotten <laughs> within, uh, you know, by, by the time. Not after I, this podcast, it's going to, you're going to be. No, no. <laughs> We're well, going to immortalize mean, you. Scientists will find this thousands of years from now. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But uh, again, it's like the, the micro scale is Belisarius is going to be remembered for yeah. centuries. But the macro scale is he's not much different than us and right. he'll be forgotten too eventually. And every, everybody on earth will be uh, forgotten eventually. And so in one sense, Belisarius, Julius Caesar, General Patton, all of these great grand figures are on a different level than us. But in another sense, at the end of the chess game, all of the pieces go back into the same box. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you need to avoid nihilism here too. And it's easy to lapse into nihilism when you're looking at the potential meaninglessness of everything, of your own existence, of, of all existence in general. I don't ascribe to these beliefs, but I can absolutely identify with them and yeah. um, give they, them their, they are They are doubts that we all deal with, right? They're all, yeah. And in this instance, it's interesting because when, uh, <laughs> I, when I thought about this, I thought, you know, Belisarius is saying this, so, oh yeah, I guess it's easy for him to say because he's this huge, important general. But, you know, when you, now that we're talking about the song in its totality and you're telling me more about his, um, the challenge before him facing the alleged infidelity of his wife, uh, I can read this actually as to him saying to himself, you know, this is a meaningful decision, how I act here. And if I let my anger and my baser emotions rule me, I've, I've done something wrong that I, I shouldn't do. And so this is a meaningful choice, you know, and I'm, I'm going to make the right choice and move on with my life and forgive. So, and that was a different way than I had looked at it originally. So thank you for that insight. I would love to talk about this song even more, but I think we should keep moving. <laughs> um, the next song is actually my favorite. I think we could go ahead uh, and move on to uh, Gloria. Why don't we listen to a, a bit of Gloria, which is another really exciting track. Gloria, galloping homeward, Gloria, ah, Gloria, valiant general, he's charging desperate chatter, Gloria, galloping homeward, Gloria, Here in Gloria now, we've got, um, you mentioned 60 years, and that's mentioned in this uh, first line. 60 years have come and gone since Rome did fall, uh, since Rome was ruled by Romans. But now they're coming back as liberators. Yeah, and I, I think it's noteworthy that Belisarius 
it seems he did his best to continue that policy of trying to liberate, you know, like what he was doing in North Africa, like, hey, we're coming here to liberate you, not to put you under our thumb and conquer you. And I notice here, um, one of the things that I like about the track is, um, for those of you that like kind of battle music, this is a battle song. Uh, by the way, this, <laughs> okay, so he, Belisarius hears word that Ostrogothic armies are near, and he led his elite guard out to to see, uh, which is the story. And uh, by the way, one of the epic mishears of, of uh, power rock history is me listening to this and thinking you're saying, hearing word that Ostrogothic commies were near, which really changes <laughs> the narrative quite now a bit. we really got to get them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, really nerdy note. There was a um, proto-communist movement in the Sassanid empire at this time called Mazdakism. So there could have been Ostrogothic commies. I mean, it's not completely impossible. Anyway, we'll move on from that. But um, I thought it was really interesting that this is a battle song and he's out fighting, but that's half the song. The other half of the song is him thinking about Antonina. Yeah, and I think that sort of gets back to Strange to the World. It's really easy to uh, to view Antonina as this big bad figure. And in some cases, yes, absolutely. But it's like this Paul Castanellos book. It's called Antonina, a Byzantine slut. It's like what a polarizing sounds mean. book title. Yeah, yeah, it sounds mean. Of course, the book is fairly, uh, you know, feminist, I guess you would say, hmm. uh, in a good sense. Is it or- from her perspective? <clears throat> can't remember i know a lot of it is in fact yes yeah i i believe it is okay so it's sort of like wicked right the book hey, that's i think written so from the wicked witch of the west perspective kind of yeah. turn, turning the uh turning the tables on the narrative a little bit but the the question that i found myself asking was like why did belisarius stick with her mm-hmm. like why i mean granted there's the one side of it which we covered earlier which is that Antonina had this close relationship with Empress Theodora. So there was probably an element of, I can't get out. Like this is the will of the emperor and I've just got to stick with Antonina. But based on all of the other writing and stuff, it seems that like you said, he really did love her. Mm -hmm. And so it makes me think that there had to have been something there. There had to have been some kind of good relationship. They had to have loved each other. Yeah. I think they did. I mean, I think, um, it's a strange love story. Yeah, it is. It is strange. Although I guess, you know, adultery is one of the oldest stories in the world too. Right. Yeah. Um, I think they did love each other. I think she was a very attractive, a very intelligent and witty uh, woman who, uh, you know, who, who he was completely enamored of. And as we all know, uh, whether we're men or women, uh, the people that we fall in love with sometimes doesn't make any sense at all. Right? Yeah, but um, but I think you know from from all accounts, uh, you know, Procopius drags everybody through the mud in his book. But you know, we if from all accounts, though, um, otherwise, I think she was uh, a remarkable woman, and he he saw something in her that he could never let go of. And in this song, you refer to that. So he's even though he's uh, forgiven her, he's still wounded in his heart, um, and she's thinking of him. Right. Um, and I'm sorry, I think I confused myself a little bit. He's he's wounded in his heart. And I think he expresses that um, uh, in the prior song where he says, like, in vain, I go on. I can't mm. be rid of her. But here she we hear from her. We hear her voice for the first time that she's she's thinking of him and worrying about him. Right. Yeah. Um, in this song, uh, she is voiced by Mercedes Victoria, a really talented vocalist that we've worked with a number of times in the past. And yeah, I, I thought it was important because I didn't want people to get this one dimensional view of Antonina, right. because to be fair, a lot of this album, she is mm-hmm. sort of the antagonist. So I, I didn't want it to be so black and white. And I wanted to be as true to the actual relationship as I could get. And right. so I, I think this was a good place to have that. And I don't know, like for myself, I'm one of those uh, weird people who never had a real girlfriend before meeting his wife. <laughs> so you had uh, one true love kind of situation. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I guess maybe that's another reason I identify with Belisarius. Well, that's amazing that you say that because that's exactly how Graves writes it. Interesting. That Belisarius as a youth uh, met her 
basically he was at a noble's house and she was the entertainer. She was dancing, singing and all that. And he just was smitten with her, like love at first sight. And and she liked him too. Uh, but obviously her profession and her circumstances, you know, that yeah. nothing, nothing could happen then. And then uh, in, in that story, he keeps himself, he basically saves himself for her. Uh, doesn't really have any other relationships, always remembering this, this girl. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and, um, and I want to say to, to, to those who may be tempted to think that, um, Judicator is, uh, you know, anti-Antonina. The let's talk about the cover art of the album for a second. Yeah, the, the cover art, first of all, is gorgeous. It's Belisarius. Next to him is his wife Antonina. I don't know who the third man is. There's a third it's man. Theodosius. It's Theodosius. Yeah, yeah. In my in my view of him, he never wore armor and appeared on a battlefield. But I guess. It's, <laughs> um, and in Graves's book, he is like a very uh, witty kind of. Um, <sighs> I always pictured him like a, a pool boy philosopher, just yeah, kind of a hunk basically. who hangs out. <laughs> and he wears fancy clothes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so anyway, him in armor is new for me. But anyway, the three of them are on horseback. The style is very much like the Ravenna mosaic, which is the one picture we have of that we think <clears throat> is Belisarius because he doesn't get his name written on anything anywhere. I understand there were statues of him uh, in Byzantium at one point, but none of them survive. Um, but the three of them are charging forward on horses, Belisarius with his famous white-faced horse, a gift from Theodora, I believe. Um, so I guess she had her good points once in a while. And um, it's done in that Byzantine style. It's gorgeous, like a mosaic. Uh, and then there's a little detail. Belisarius looking handsome, raising his sword up. But there's a little detail if you look right at the center. Despite all the nasty things we've heard about her and the stories that you know of their problems with one another, they're holding hands. Yeah. The, and it was originally the idea that you could see Antonina holding hands with Theodosius as well, but that didn't make it into the final uh, rendition. I guess it just was not really feasible. It would I look like contrived and way. weird. <laughs> me too. Me too. And also the more I've reflected on it, I'm just glad it turned out that way. Um, yeah. And for anybody curious, the artist is uh, a guy named Mitchell Nolte. And he's terrific. He did our cover and rear artwork for the album. And he's done a lot of other artwork. He's very good at uh, at doing this kind of work that looks old. It looks yeah. like it belongs from the period yeah, it's um, gorgeous. that it I covers. It. He's done stuff that is from, I think, if I remember right, it's like the Napoleonic Wars. It just looks terrific. He's a great artist. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think, you know, it's amazing that that little detail conveys so much of the story. Uh, whatever we think of their relationship and the problems they had or what she she did to betray his trust, uh, there they are. They're holding hands. They're in love. And, and, and the, you know, deal with it, I guess. That, that, that's part of the story as much as anything else is that they are in love with each other. And he stays with her for the rest of his life, in fact. So, yeah, I, I like that song a lot. It's very energetic. Um, and, and Belisarius miraculously escapes getting viciously murdered by a by an ostrogothic <laughs> ambush where they try to shoot at his white-faced horse and the guards at first don't recognize him and then finally let him in and Antonita runs to embrace him again. Yeah, they they come so they they go out because they hear we've gotten word that there might be these uh visigothic or or gothic ostrogothic. Mm -hmm. There might be these gothic uh incursion force or something coming. So Belisarius took his elite guard out to sea. They get to this bridge or something, if I remember right. And uh-oh, they get ambushed. And the forces that they had that were there, I think, turned on them, turned them in. So they knew that Belisarius' horse was the white-faced horse. So they said, fire on the white-faced horse. And so Belisarius and his men have to, like, brutally, like, just carve their way out and make it back to uh, their lines to, to Rome and Belisarius and his boys are so hammered and so like covered in gore and muck that the men on the walls don't even recognize them. So they're like, uh, dude, no, we're not letting you in. No right. way. And so in the meantime, the Goths are coming and they're starting to, uh, to march in and tie the noose around Belisarius neck, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And Belisarius is like, all right, if this is how we're going out, then let's let's give them hell and fire so they turn around 
and they hammer them with a really unexpected level of furiosity. And so the guys on the wall are like, whoa, yeah. these guys, if they're not Roman, like they say they are, then they're at least allies. So we better let they them must in. Be. Yeah. And, and I think that's an interesting story because um, we hear again and again on the podcast and the histories that the elite cavalry of the Byzantines was their mm. dec- decisive arm. And um, to, as a shout out to my uh, Sassanid buddies, they developed that as a result of their competition, I think, with those um, elite Persian uh, folks that the Parthians first deployed them against the Romans and um, had the heavy cataphracts, which then were copied mm-hmm. by the Byzantines, who also could be archers. Um, so they kind of put them as a, into a multifaceted um, position and were very well trained. Uh, Graves's book goes a lot into this training that Belisarius does with his men uh, to make them elite fighters. Uh, so they're well-equipped and extremely well-trained. Um, and the Goths, I guess, you know, we, we presume they're professional, but maybe more tribal warriors and certainly not heavily armed or as well trained as these guys. They were able to smash them despite the fact they were ambushed, at least enough to throw them back and allow themselves to get back into Rome, where this could have been the end of Belisarius' story. Oh, yeah. Very easily. <clears throat> and uh, without his leadership, that probably would have been the end of the the expedition into Italy. Very well could have been, yeah. Yeah, so I, I like that that song quite a bit. It's my 12-year-old son's favorite song off the album, by the way. In terms of wrapping up, um, I think we covered a lot of the uh, insights into his uh, his loves and his enemies. Um, what do you have uh, as your overall opinion of him uh, after having put all this work and, and sweat and tears uh, into this album? Uh, what do you have as your overall opinion of Belisarius? Um, as I said, I find him to be a very fascinating character, especially as a general, because he is a skilled general and a master, I think, of logistics and managing supply lines and recruits and reinforcements. I mean, there's so much that happens in Italy and it's just a mess. It's so hard to like follow everything that happens in those Italian uh, campaigns but it really reflects that he was skilled, but he's also interesting because he has these distinct flaws, maybe character flaws. And I think it's interesting because with somebody like Julius Caesar, they're very big, very pronounced. And with Belisarius, it seems to be much more mild and tempered down. So I I just think he's relatable and, I I would really like to see more of an awareness of Eastern Rome and Byzantium in the West. I think we really don't give Byzantium its due attention in the West when we consider that if Byzantium did not exist, certainly the uh, Islamic invaders would have come through and very well could have conquered all of Europe and history could have been changed for what, like close to a thousand years, I I think like from like what, roughly 600 to uh, 1453 or so Byzantium was a bulwark against foreign invaders into Western Europe. So it really allowed Western Europe to germinate or cultivate and grow. Yeah. Um, When the Western, when the Western Europeans themselves weren't attacking Byzantium. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because oh, yeah, that's, uh, as we yeah. know, the first people to sack, I don't want to, you know, no spoilers, because I don't think we've gotten there yet in the uh, in the narrative. But uh, the first people to sack Byzantium were not uh, people from the east. Yeah, what is it? The uh, the fourth crusade, I think it was. Yeah, that's the, the Latin Empire, I think they called it. Right. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and so what about any lingering questions or, you know, mysteries about him that you didn't quite solve in, you know, either your research or your artistry? I think what I'm just most curious about is the middle ground between Procopius um, official accounts and uh, the secret histories, I think it's called, Um, because I, I, I trust, I think it's called the Wars of Justinian. That's my book, what it, what it's called by Procopius. The, uh, the Wars of Justinian, I trust, but I also know that, like we said, Procopius' job was to be kind to Belisarius. And so he's what we would real... call an, an embedded journalist nowadays, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. 
so it's propagandistic. And so it's like, surely there's truth in there. Absolutely. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious to know what the middle ground would be between, sorry, my dog is going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> the middle ground between the secret histories and uh, the wars of Justinian. I, I would be curious to know because I find Belisarius to be a hugely fascinating figure in history just because of how relatable he is compared to some of these other mammoth generals and kings and emperors. And so I think he's somebody who's worth exploring and learning more about. Yeah, I think that's excellent. I think, uh, I think it's amazing how much he accomplished uh, and, and the things he was responsible for. Uh, and then how, how little he's known, as you said, uh, next to some of the other more prominent figures. And I'm really happy that, uh, first of all, that the History of Byzantium podcast uh, gave me and many others an opportunity to relearn it. And as I said, it's over the course of uh, many episodes, he goes through Justinian because there's so much that happens. And Belisarius is a major figure in so much of what Justinian does. Uh, so you can go back to those episodes 17 through 21 and uh, and check out all the specifics of those campaigns that are referenced. But I'm I'm so happy, too, that your band and you uh, made a fantastic piece of music, uh, you know, a piece of modern culture to reinterpret and reinvigorate this history uh, for modern listeners as well. So I'd like to thank you so much for that and for giving me this opportunity to interview you. Uh, before we go, could you tell us uh, if the listeners of the podcast are interested in finding your music and your other albums uh, where they might might go to do that? Yeah, I would say find us on Facebook first and foremost. And if you want to support us financially, please do, because we need it. Uh, and you can do that by visiting judicatormetal.bandcamp.com. And there you can pick up our music or some merchandise. We have t-shirts, CDs. You can also look us up on Prosthetic Records website and support us there. Get some sweet vinyl, which I know is a, a burgeoning community in and of itself i wanted to go out and buy a record player when i saw that sweet black and gold mm. vinyl album of let there be nothing but i do not have <laughs> do not have an lp player anymore but yes i saw there was some interesting options there so that you can get physical copies of the music and also um electronic you can download it as well from that site yeah. correct yeah and to that you know you can find us on any major music platform. So pick us out on whichever platform uh, suits you best. That's fantastic. And I wish you luck on the new album. I hope maybe, uh, I don't know if you're going to tour the East coast, uh, but maybe I hope to see you guys live sometime. And, uh, and I want to thank Robin uh, Pearson for the fantastic podcast. That's inspiring us to learn more about Byzantine history and to, uh, and for, you know, hopefully to help uh, other folks to try other uh, methods of reinvigorating history with music and artistry. Uh, we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and uh, early Nauru's for our Sassanid friends. And John, uh, Merry Christmas to you and thank you so much. Yeah, thank you to you and of course to Robin. I've been a huge fan of the History of Byzantium podcast. I've been listening to it for months now and I'm just totally enthralled. So I'm really honored and this is kind of like a huge nerding out moment for me. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see, you know, like podcast with John Yellen on the history of Byzantium podcast. I'm so excited about that. I'm like geeking out here like a history nerd yeah. slash metal metal lead man. No, I think it's a wonderful confluence of interests. And I hope that uh, everybody gets some more enjoyment out of the story of Belisarius from your album. And we look forward to the continuation of the narrative in 2021. And we'll leave you with a little bit more of uh, Judicator's Let There Be Nothing album. Uh, until next time, take care. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 